Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 10, says, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation... And he's built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am also a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. I want to begin today by talking about how that we can live a properly aligned life. I want to talk about humility to begin with. If we look here in this passage of Scriptures, go back up to verse number 2. The Bible said that a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, that was the instruction that the elders of the Jews, that was the instruction that they had received. the, The instruction was, go get Jesus, ask Him to come, and ask Him to pray for my servant so that He can be made whole. So then we go down to verse number 4. The Bible said, when they came to Jesus, they besought Him instantly, saying that the centurion was worthy for whom he should do this, how that, and he loves our nation, and he's built us a synagogue, and all of these kinds of things. And so the centurion did not tell those people to go tell Jesus that. He just said, go get Jesus and see, I heard he's in town, see if he'll come and pray for this servant. Sometimes people take it upon themselves (laughs) to go and speak things about us that we didn't authorize them to speak. The centurion found out about this. If you go on later in the scriptures, you'll find out the centurion found out about this. And when Jesus was coming close to his house, he sent friends to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, no, 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 no. Don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. That's number one. And number two, and I did not think I was worthy for you to come unto my house. So the group that that, that the centurion sent to get Jesus was telling Jesus how worthy this guy was. He loves our nation. He built us a synagogue. He's a supporter of the ministry, all of these kinds of things. But the centurion, when he found out about it, was not willing to allow himself to be boosted or allow people to boast on him like that without giving an answer. So when we look at that, there's a couple of things that I think that we can learn from it. Number one, it's this. If you're doing anything significant for God, 
sure, you're going to attra attract attacks. The enemy's going to attack you. We know that. That's number one. But number two, you're also going to attract people who are in love with the anointing that's on your life. They're in love with the presence of God that's on your life. And what they're going to do is they're going to go and instead of building up Jesus, they're going to build up you. And so here's what we need to be very careful of, just like the centurion was. We need to be very careful that when those things start coming towards us, that we become a reflector of God's glory instead of a, re instead of a receptor of the glory. You see what I'm saying? Satan said, I will arise and I will set myself on high. And that's the problem with Satan was that he was desiring the glory that God was receiving, and that's what got Him cast out of heaven. We are reflectors of God's glory. We should, we should be so busy reflecting the praise and reflecting the honor and reflecting the glory to God that when someone tries to compliment us on maybe the ministry that the Lord has given us, that we just automatically redirect that praise and adoration to the Lord. Jesus is the only star around here. He's the bright and the morning star. None of the musicians that you've seen up here are stars. They're not stage stars. They're not church stars. None of the singers are stars. We are worshipers together, partnering with God in the ministry of Jesus for the purpose of ministering to the needs of people in the earth. We're conduits of God's power. We're conduits of God's glory. We're conduits of the anointings that is upon the Lord, that is upon our lives, and the anointing that comes from heaven. God will give it to us if He can get it through us. The thing that will stop us is when we stop the flow is when we start believing our own press. I want to encourage you to do something. Quit believing your own press. And number two, quit reading your own press. Don't even read it. Don't even pay attention to it. Uh, the, only thing, the only thing that you need to pay attention to is anytime that compliment comes, Lord, I give you the glory. Lord, I give you the praise. Lord, I give you the adoration. Quit believing your own press. Because if it wasn't for Calvary, if it wasn't for the blood, if it wasn't for what Jesus did for us on Calvary, then none of us would be worth anything. When God sees us, He sees us through the filter of the blood of Jesus. Jesus, God made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We didn't become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of Calvary. And so we are what we are because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, because of the power of the Word at work and active in our life. So that's number one. The centurion, he said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to receive these, these accolades. I'm going to give them to the Lord. I'm going to let the Lord have them. And I'm not going to even put myself in a position where people can look at me. Now, number two, the second thing that I, I want you to pay attention to here is this. Jesus had enough discernment and enough wisdom to know that probably what those folks were telling him in the beginning was not how that guy was feeling at all. So he didn't take what others said about the centurion at face value. Here's the thing we can learn from that. Not everything people are going to say about you is the truth. And not everything that people are going to say about other people is the truth. 
Jesus said, I'll go to his house. And so while he was going, them telling him how wonderful this man, he's a lover of our nation, he's worthy of your presence, he built us a synagogue. Jesus is listening to all of that. And, you know, I I mean, obviously we would think Jesus would say, you know, I'm just not interested in being around that kind of arrogance. But Jesus could see through what was going on. And so he decided to go anyway, and it resolved itself as he was on his way to that guy's house. Don't, <laughs> let, me, let, me put, let me put it like this. Don't believe everything that people say about everyone else. Just don't believe it. Just don't believe it. God gave you two eyes. He gave you two ears. He gave you a brain. He gave you a heart. He gave you a soul. And... God wants us to discern when we hear something, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. There are people that come to me and they'll say stuff about, so I've had it happen over and over and over. Well, you know what, and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, whatever. And it's in one ear and literally out the other because I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to fool with it. I'm not going to play. I'll make my own decisions. I'll discern myself. I'll discern myself whether I need to be in contact with this person or not in contact with... You understand what I'm saying. Be very discerning. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Be very discerning. Because the people that you allow in your life and the people that you allow in your head and the people that you allow to influence you can make you or break you. What do you think these servants learned through this process? They've seen this powerful man who had been elevated by God, evidently, to a place of authority. And they saw Jesus, the Son of God, on His way there. They saw the battle of pride take place right in front of their eyes. They saw the centurion break down that in in the name of Jesus. He just broke it down said, No, I didn't even think I was worthy for you to come. I don't know why they said that, but if you, Lord, will speak the word, if you speak the word, I know my servant will be made whole. That's what he said. And so in the process of it all, he understood authority and he spoke the word of God. And the result was Jesus saying in verse number nine, I have not found so great faith, not even in Israel. When the centurion was talking to Jesus, he told him, he said, I understand authority. He said, I'm a man set under authority. The people were telling Jesus how much authority the man had. He told Jesus, I'm under authority. He didn't think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He said, I'm a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to one, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And then that's when Jesus said, he marveled at him and turned about and said to the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. So it was, it was very apparent that the centurion knew the value, the, the value of authority. In other words, he knew his place. He knew his place. Now that leads me to this. Every single Christian has a ministry. Every single Christian has a ministry. You have a ministry, I have a ministry. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. Now not every Christian 
has a ministry of being in the pulpit like I am. In fact, most Christians don't have that ministry. There's most, most Christians would, would not want to be up in front of people. And unless I'm declaring the Word of God, I don't want to be in front of people. When the Lord called me to the ministry when I was a child, I was one of these kids that stuttered all of the time and I hid in my mother's skirt. You, you wouldn't think that today, but that's how I was. I was having a hard time talking. I would stutter and I would, and I would hand it and be in my mother's skirt. You know, people would say hi and I'd run around behind her skirt and all of that kind of thing. I was nervous. I was afraid. I, I had a hard time talking to people. Then the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I haven't shut up since. <laughs> the anointing to communicate came flowing through me. And God uh, added that anointing to my life. Now here's what I have learned. I've learned through the years to stay in my place. You have to know your place. you got to know it. The centurion knew his place. He knew that he was a man that had authority, but he also knew that he was under authority. He knew that there were people trying to convince Jesus that he really needed to come and heal this guy's servant because the centurion has been so faithful that he's worthy, but the centurion knew that he didn't feel worthy for Jesus to come and do this. And he let Jesus know it didn't even cross my mind. So the centurion knew his place. He knew how to operate with humility. Humility doesn't mean you allow people to run over you. It means that you know where the source of your power lies. And so every Christian has a ministry that fits into God's overall plan for the entire world and the work of God for the church. And it appears that this centurion knew his place. Now, stay in your lane. Look at your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. When God shows you what He's called you to do or when, when those gifts begin to surface, stay in your lane. Some people are called to minister like I am. Some people are called to business. Just because a person is called to business doesn't mean that their calling is any less than a person who is called to break the bread of life. Some people are called to business so they can become paymasters for God's vision and so they can help structure ministry going forward. Some people are called to care ministry. We have people in this church that I'll go pray for people in the hospital and when I get there, I'll find out that someone's already been there. I just found out about it, but someone else had already been there from the church. No one that I knew called them, but they knew that they were in the hospital. And so guess what? They went up there without being called and without someone picking up the phone and bugging them all of the time. And so they just went and did it because they're called to care ministry and that's what they do. We have a wonderful lady sitting back here. You get a birthday card or an anniversary card or a get well card from this lady because every month she'll call and she'll say, what are the birthdays for the month? What are the anniversaries for the month? Every now and then throughout the week, she'll call and she'll say, is everyone okay? Does anyone need a card? Is anyone sick? Is anyone in the hospital? And you'll get those cards, not because I thought to do it. Hello. But that's her calling. And she flows in that calling. And you get birthday cards. Larry Schumann, where are you at, Larry? There he is. He's here today because for two years, every year, he got a birthday card from this church. 
Thank you, Benita, for every year. Him and Jackie are here because of that. Wasn't because I remembered to do it, because that's not my calling. It was their calling. Some people are called to politics. And their calling is to help form biblical policies in our community and in our nation. They have a very strong proclivity towards the moral compass. And, and they believe that the Bible should be the moral compass of society. They, they run on this scripture, Psalms 33 and verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people that He has chosen for His inheritance. There are some people who are not called to be preachers, who are not called to be singers, who are not called to do business. There are some people who are called to be politicians, to form policy, to create policy that influences culture around the, the founding precepts of the Word of God. Politics can be a holy calling. Now you need to know that you're going to get involved with some people who don't see it that way. And they're going to have different ideas than you. And you're going to have to be able to defend your faith. You're going to have to be able to stand strong when the enemy comes against you. Some people are called to music and creative arts. I'm talking about staying in your lane. Some people are called to music and creative arts for the purpose of influencing cultures for God. Probably the number one battle that we've always had in churches. I've been in the ministry a long time now. And this is our fourth church. And I told them when they wanted to put me here eight and a half years ago, I said, it's got to be my last one. I got my kids are growing up. They're going to get married. The grandbabies are going to come. I'm staying in West Pasco County. This is where I'm going to be. And so uh, they said, you stay there the rest of your life. I said, I will. One way or the other, we'll be here. And so... Uh, but through the years, some of the biggest problems that we have had as pastors is with music ministers. And I, I'm just being transparent with you, and I'm not, you know, dishing on anybody. But usually what happens is the music minister will last 12 to 18 months. And the reason is because they come in, they're excited, they can play music, they can sing, they're on the stage, they sense the presence of the Lord that was in the house, like the presence of the Lord that was in the house this morning, and they just, and, and that presence of God just comes in and it just invades, and before long they get bolder and they get bolder and they get bolder, and when you start to give them instruction, they start pushing that instruction aside, and they get this attitude, I know what I'm doing, leave me alone, you do your part and I'll do mine. The problem is, there can only be one leader in the church one pastor of the church. And so they'll get preachy and they'll want to preach between every song. Have you seen that before? They'll start getting preachy. Well, they're not there to be preachy. They're there to be a worshiper. They're there to lead you into God's presence. They're there to worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness, to help you get into the feet and the heart of Jesus, to, to get into the lap of God. That's, that's what they're there for, to lead you into the presence of the Lord. And so usually what happens, and this has happened to us before, what will happen is eventually things will get to where it just doesn't go the way that they think that it should go. And so they'll start talking to some of the people in the church. And this has happened to us more than once. So they'll try to carve out a little group of people and go down the road and try to start their own church and all of that kind of stuff. And four years later, they still have the 15 people that they started with. And they can't understand how they could leave a place where there were two or three hundred people and four years later just have 15 people because while they were there, they were operating under the anointing that was in the house. And they were in divine order, but they didn't stay in their lane. They thought they could do things better. 
And so this has been the battle throughout the years. Thankfully, we're in a really good place. And thankfully, in my life, well, you've seen it this morning, in my life, I've never ever pastored a church that was held hostage by a worship leader because I'll just lead worship if I have to. I can play the piano. I can play the guitar. I can play the keyboard. I can beat around on the drums. I can dun 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 on the bass. I don't have to, but I can. So we've never been held hostage by that, and I'm grateful, and I'm and I'm thankful for that. And part of my ministry is to grab the guitar every now and then, or go sit down at the piano every now and then, and just go on and worship the Lord and praise the Lord. And thankfully, you guys enter into that worship, and you enter into that praise with us, and we just all just enjoy approaching the throne together as we sing and worship the Lord. But this happens a lot of times with music ministers and what. Now we're in a situation where my daughter, the blonde up here, well, the, yeah, this one that was standing right here is now finally the worship leader. And I know she'll be faithful and I know she'll be loyal and we won't have to worry. I don't have to worry about her staying in her lane because if I tossed her a mic right now and said, preach, she'd say, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Stay in your lane. The centurion stayed in his lane. Some people are called to different things. Some people are called to be dad and mom. Strong families are the backbone of our community, of our nation, of our church. Some people are called to be leaders. Some people are called to be managers. Some are called to be industry. Some transportation. Some construction. Always remember Matthew 5, 16. Here's what the Word says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's one thing that all of us are called to. If you're a Christian, you're called to this. This is what you're called to, prayer. Every last one of us are called to prayer. We're called to communicate with God and we're called to prayer. So the centurion knew this. He knew that the practice of divine order was the prerequisite to great faith which produced the miracle that, G, that, that his servant needed. Jesus made this statement in verse number 9. He said, I say unto you, I have not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. And the result of it in verse number 10, And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Was that servant healed because Jesus prayed for him? No, that servant was healed because of the faith of the centurion. It's like the woman that had the issue of blood. Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, there's people that are thronging you and you're saying, who touched me? And Jesus said, but I perceive that virtue has gone out of my body, that power has gone out of my body. And turning him about in the press, she made her way to Jesus and she said, I knew if I could touch the hem of your garment that I would be made whole. And Jesus told her, He said, Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. The centurion's faith is what produced the miracle that this man needed. Now Jesus made this statement, and we'll close with this. But Jesus made this statement. He said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. When I saw that where it said great faith, it just reminded me that in Mark chapter 4 and verse number 40, Jesus made this statement. He said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
And then we can go to Luke chapter 12, 28, Mark 8, 24, and we can see where Jesus references those who have little faith. And then in Luke 7, in verse number 9, Jesus said, you have great faith. I've not found such great faith, no, not in Israel. So it lets me know that there are different levels of faith. You don't receive a different level of faith because you got saved in January instead of July. You don't receive a different level of faith because you have a bigger body structure than others. You don't even receive a different level of faith because you're prettier than the person you're sitting beside. And all of the women touched their husband and said, Amen. <laughs> the Bible said that God has given to every single one of us a measure of His faith. Now, whatever we do with it, that's up to us. It's our responsibility to, to grow our faith. We need to grow our faith. How do I grow my faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If I have no faith or if I have little faith and it needs to grow and expand, then I need to take in more Word. Faith works by love. I've got to keep myself away from offense. I have to live a forgiving lifestyle. I can't allow the enemy to come in and try to defeat me and destroy me by, by putting grudges inside of me towards other people from things that they've said or things that they've done. I can't let the enemy uh, lie to me and make me think and believe things that, that are not true, that other people are saying or that other people are doing. I have to stay in love. I have to walk in love. Listen, I love God and He loves me. I hope you love me, but the fact that I love Him and He loves me is all that really matters. And I'm going to love you whether you love me or not. Because I can't risk my faith not working. There's things I'm believing God for. I need manifestation in different areas. And if faith works by love, then I'm not going to let you offend me out of the manifestation I need. You see what I'm saying? So there's different levels of faith. If I need to grow my faith, then I need to stay in forgiveness. I need to stay in love. And then faith is activated by the confession of our mouth. The Bible said He is the high priest of our profession. So if I need to grow my faith, I need to take in more word. I need to guard my heart and stay in love. And I need to speak the word of God out and put the word of God to work in my life so I can receive what I believe in God for. That's what this centurion did, isn't it? And the result was Jesus said, I have not seen so great faith. No, not even in Israel. Amen. Amen. Good word, huh? Amen. Let's all stand. Come on. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.